0: Well, good evening and welcome to this Monday Thursday service. Monday, um, mandatum, commandment. So Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So that's what we're going to be focusing on this, this evening, is this love that compelled God to take on human flesh, to live among us, fully God, fully man, to teach, to proclaim, to demonstrate this good news about the kingdom of God, to take the sins of the world upon himself, to be buried, to rise again from the dead. The part of the story that we're gonna focus on tonight is this last supper and the subsequent evening um, events. We'll pick that up again tomorrow night. with Good Friday. Uh, at the end of this service, we'll ask everybody to leave in silence, just to 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 be able to reflect deeply on what you hear and experience tonight. But as you leave, uh, feel free to contribute to an offering as you go out the door. Uh, we, we always receive a, a benevolence offering because during the Lenten season, typically one of the historic practices of the church would be to create special offerings for the poor, for people in very desperate straits. And so that's what we'll be doing uh, tonight and tomorrow night. We'll also have Holy Communion this evening that will be served to you where you're sitting. We simply invite you to open your heart and your mind to the Lord. Uh, if this is a whole new experience for you, simply trust yourself to the Holy Spirit as you hear scripture read, as you sing, uh, as you experience this worship service. Um, probably the biggest prayer that I would, I would pray for me and, and encourage you to pray is that, in fact, the Lord would show us his love in a fresh way and teach us how to love in a fresh way. So Lord Jesus, that is my prayer for me, for us. That just as you have loved us so that somehow in the mystery of our human nature, wanting so much to love and be loved, we are so ill-equipped to do that. And so Lord, I pray that we would be able to understand in a fresh way your love for us And in a fresh way, uh, to be able to express that to one another and to others in your name. And so we commit this service to you, that you would be honored and glorified and and each one here would be blessed. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests had made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him.
2: twenty two one through six now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve and and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present.
3: Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house. The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover.
4: In Christ alone, you took
5: When the hour came, Jesus and apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out, over, poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be, who would do this?
4: In Christ alone.
6: After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him what he, which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night.
4: There in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by dawn.
0: So a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So three things. The First thing, Jesus' command is rooted in the power of love, not the love of power. You think about this. This is God in the flesh knowing that he's coming in the power of the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's coming to fulfill what has been in motion, in process for a very long time. He knows that the gates of hell cannot prevail against him. And yet, his command is rooted in the power of love, not the love of power. How different he is than us. He commands and commends that love will carry the day. It's almost laughable. Because we are so used to the fact that if, if power will have its way, it must be coercive. It must be compelling in a way that says you have no other choice but to be dominated and, and destroyed. Uh, this is how the world works. Does God not understand that? Does he not understand how the world works? Which, which is laughable in and of itself to, to say that. From our perspective, here tonight, it's laughable to suggest that God does not understand how the world works. And yet on the face of it, he says that love will carry the day. Can you imagine, in any situation where power is at stake, the leader of that group of people, whether soldiers or athletes or anyone else, gathered together, ready to go in and do what they were trained to do and are ready to do. That coach, that general, looks at them and says, now remember, love will carry the day. (laughs) Can you imagine the looks on people's faces? Have you lost your mind? Love will carry the day? So what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, he was comfortable with his power. He was so comfortable in his power, he had no doubt about it. Now, anybody but Jesus, it would have been laughable. You see, he was bold because he was speaking with authority and acting with authority. That was one of the things that people noticed about him. In fact, Matthew tells us, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. When he said something, it actually happened. Be healed. Follow me. When he asked questions of people, do you want to get better? Do you want to get well? He wasn't setting up expectations that he couldn't fulfill. He knew that if they were willing, he was able. Do you remember one time somebody approached him and said, are, are you able to do this? And really the answer was in a sense, not only am I able, I am willing. He had, he had authority and he knew how to use it. It was rooted in the love of God. And so he didn't ask permission or seek validation in regard to his authority. Rather, he demonstrated it in word and deed. If you didn't understand the words, you certainly couldn't miss the deeds. And sometimes the deeds preceded the words. And following the deed, his disciples would be so confounded. What was going on there? What did you just do? How did that happen? And then he would interpret for them. He would, he would then um, explain what he'd just done and what it meant. And so his character, his integrity... His signs and wonders confirmed his authority. And so his, th- his authority was a quality unsurpassed by anybody else in recorded history. Now, that's just not hyperbole. It's simply to say, I-, I racked my brain on this. I wrote this down, and then I started thinking about it. Okay, can I think of any exception? I could not think of one exception, because every, every example I could think of, of somebody who had incredible and even supreme authority, it was able to do much with it, Alexander the Great, in 11 years, he conquered the world. Think about that. Starting at about age 21, he conquered the world. Many of the people around Jesus in Jerusalem spoke Greek because of Alexander the Great. He had unsurpassed power and authority except for Jesus. And I started thinking of any number of leaders throughout history, ancient and modern. I could not think of one person whose authority in terms of his word and his deed surpasses Jesus. Can you? There's been some great leaders out there. Uh, As much as I love Winston Churchill, can you imagine Winston Churchill standing there with his bowler and his cigar saying, "Uh, I defer to Jesus. He would have to defer. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus has unsurpassed authority in heaven and on earth. And that's why we don't pray the Churchill prayer. We don't pray the Alexander the Great prayer. We don't pray the, any prayer but the Our Father prayer. When Jesus said, this is how you pray, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. And he brings that together in his being, in his person. And so his authority was explained in a remarkable way. For God so loved the world. As he talked to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, one of the great leaders of, of Jerusalem in his day, came to Jesus and said, hey, help me understand what's going on here. And Jesus said, you, one of the teachers of Israel, don't understand this? And he talked about being born again. And then he said to him, to make it really clear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life forever forever. It's all about God's love demonstrated powerfully. Heads did not roll, a stone rolled. We'll celebrate that on Sunday. So the first idea, the first point, Jesus' command is rooted in the power of love, not the love of power. That brings us to the second point. Human hearts and human minds were open to God's coming kingdom because of Jesus. The one who came in the name of love. And this became the model and the manner and the method of his disciples. They, they embraced this. They started to understand it. It became so part of who they were. It's said of, of John the Apostle, the very last of the apostles to die, that on his deathbed all he could say was love, love, love. And so wherever and whenever his disciples obeyed that command, the church has flourished. Wherever the love of Christ, the initiative of God in Christ has been proclaimed and the love of Christ has been demonstrated, the kingdom of God advances and the church flourishes. Even in persecution, it flourishes. That's why the Romans in the third century, uh, doing horrible things to people who, who, who were claiming Christ as Lord and Savior, said, see how they love one another. They're so much better at that than us. They even love us who are persecuting them. What should we do? And Caesar said, leave them be. There's nothing you can do. He knew this was a revolution of love, unstoppable and irresistible. And so when the disciples or anybody following them disregarded this command, the church has foundered and failed. It's turned in on itself and collapsed for the lack of love. Because the only power robust enough to push back the dark and the hate and the evil of this world is the love of God in Christ. No other power is adequate to push back all those things that otherwise will crush us and destroy us. So his love brings life, and his love uh, removes the sting of death. His love is the antidote for evil. His love is the cure for sin. And so that brings us to the third point. Learning to love like Jesus isn't conceptual or abstract. It's not just a fanciful idea. It's not a poetic thought, a figurative uh, turn of phrase. It's the bedrock truth, the foundation of all reality, that but for the love of Christ, uh, there would be nothing real to us at all. Everything would become atomized and illusory and, and dissembling, and that's how the world is until you come to know the love of Christ. It makes no sense. And so what do we do? If it's not a concept or an abstraction, what do we do? We embrace it as a way of life, his way of life. It's not, okay, Jesus, I get it. I'm going to go love in your name. Rather, it's, no, abide in me. And in me, you'll bear much fruit. See, love is the fruit of his spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. There's nothing you can... uh, Say against that. So love being the chief thing, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Because of this love we will mature and grow up and what we see darkly as if through a glass, we will see face to face. We shall know him even as we are known by him. Why his love? Because it's his love that makes it possible to receive and embrace his truth. It's his love that convinces us that his grace is trustworthy. It's his love that, that gives us the confidence and the boldness to step out in faith and say, you know, um, this is who I am. I had a wonderful email from a friend this week. Uh, and this was a big, big moment for him. And someday, I hope uh, in the not too distant future, he'll be able to tell this story uh, during a worship service. But he was in a meeting. Uh, he works for Microsoft. The two large teams in Microsoft were coming together. They were meeting in Dallas. This is two weeks ago. And so in this large, very serious gathering of of very powerful executives, uh, they were given the assignment of in two minutes telling their story, not their professional story, but their personal story. And there was about 35, 37 people. So it's gonna take some time for each person to do this. And so he was very nervous about this, but it was like the Lord said, this is what I want you to do. This is your moment. And this is so against where he's coming from culturally, where he's coming from in his experience. And so at the end of his time to say, this is who I am, he told a story about his family, he had pictures of his family, and told some basic things about himself. And then he said, but the most important thing I wanna tell you is that um, most of my life I've been an atheist, but the past year I was, I I became a believer and I was baptized in the name of Jesus. Now he thought this is perhaps professional suicide. Certainly, I've betrayed my stiff upper lip culture that would never say something like this in public. And, and, and he said it, the, the reaction was overwhelming. Spontaneous applause. Wow. People started cheering and clapping, and he, he didn't know what to make of it. And it was one of those good God moments, you know, <laughs> you know. What's happening? This is too good. And afterwards, people came up to him and shook his hand and said, thank you. Tell me more about that. It's the love of Christ that does that. Where everything I can do fails, his love prevails. So believe it, receive it, learn to apply it with truth and grace. Are you bitter? Are you angry? Have you you been betrayed? Have you been mistreated? Falsely accused? There's no way out but love. Have you been taken advantage of? Have you been disappointed? Have you been wounded, abused, beat up by life or by somebody in your life? There's no way out but love. The only way in and through and out is his love. Nothing else works. Nothing else lasts. So what does that look like? What does that sound like? What does that feel like? Four things come to mind. It's how we talk and listen to one another. How do you know I love you? I listen to you. How do you know I love you? I stop long enough to say, well, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do we need to talk about? Secondly, it's how we work through the conflict and recover from hurt feelings. See, it sets me free from the things that would otherwise oppress me and bind me up and do me in. Third, it's how we consider one another's needs, one another's problems, one another's dreams. Love is willing to listen to your dreams and not laugh at you. Love is willing to listen to your problems and not get tired of you. Love is willing to listen to your needs and not try to distance from you. And finally, it moves us from complaining to committing. That's what Jesus was telling them. Stop complaining about a lack of love in the world and start committing to being the love in the world. Pretty radical, isn't it? I think so. So essentially, it's learning to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore, as I said at the beginning of this service, let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to love like Jesus loves us. And so, Lord, again, that is our prayer, that we would embrace your love and be embraced by it, that we would receive it as a gift and extend it to others as a gift, that we would receive it and believe it in your name, and that we would give it likewise in your name. And in your name we pray, amen. So as we come to this point of Holy Communion, um, we remember that that God's love is absolutely tangible. Absolutely tangible. At that meal, it was real bread, matzah, that he took. Real bread that he took and said, "'This is my body given for you. "'Do this in remembrance of me.'" And he broke it and distributed it to them. They knew this intimately. This was part of that meal. This was reminding them of the Passover, The fact that when they made that bread, the night before they were released from captivity by Pharaoh, the Lord said, you don't have time to make bread that will rise. So this is uh, yeastless bread. This is simply flat bread. This is just flour and, 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 and water and maybe some salt, but it's tangible. And so having gone through this Passover meal many, many times, all of a sudden Jesus is giving it a whole new meaning. It's my body given for you the substance of what delivered you that, that the angel of death passed over that house that was covered with a, a red cross on the door it's the substance of my presence with you likewise he took that cup later in the in the meal, he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood the new basis for relationship again that red cross splash of blood from that that perfectly sacrificed lamb the family inside the house, protected by that red cross on the door. That night, the angel of, of death passed over all the homes marked like that. They, they were protected. They were saved. They were safe. And what happened? They were released from captivity. Now, the story, unfortunately, gets worse before it gets better because they disobeyed God and wandered in captivity. But it was at Passover that they celebrated. To this day, the one thing that unifies every Jew is the Passover. And so that's what we remember, Jesus saying to his disciples and then passing on to us, remember who I am, remember who you are, remember what this means, it's substance, the life of God himself come into this world atoning for our sin, the sacrifice that we could not provide but that he alone could provide. Again, this is what we celebrate tonight, what we remember tomorrow night as we walk through that dark night with him, and it's what we celebrate on Easter as well. So, Lord Jesus, we commit uh, these elements to you. We consecrate them in your name. Simple elements, but substantive. They remind us that you came in the flesh, that your love is real. It's not conceptual or abstract. It's substantive. It's practical. We can embrace it. In this case, we can eat the bread. We can drink the cup. And so, Lord, we get to experience you in practical ways. And you are showing us one day at a time how practical, how powerful, how purposeful your love is for us and through us. And so, Lord, as we receive the bread and the cup, we do so in your name, receiving it as a gift from you to transform us from the inside out, to make us soldiers, warriors of love, part of the revolution of love that you've uh, uh, unleashed in this world that you will bring to completion when you return in glory, bringing a new heaven and a new earth. And so, Lord, until that time, we say, Maranatha, Lord, come. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I invite the folks who will be presenting communion to come forward at this time. So we'll we'll distribute the bread and and when you get the bread, eat the bread when you're ready and then we'll distribute the cup and hold on to the cup and we'll drink that together. So we drink this together in the name of Jesus in the full assurance and confidence that he is in us and he is with us by faith. He keeps his promises to love us and to teach us how to love. Let's drink this in his name. And if you would, simply pass the cup toward the center and we'll collect them.
7: As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times.
8: Grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. these that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken
3: No
4: guilt in life No fear in death This is the power of pride
9: Seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, Someone else saw him and said, You are also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly.